0: I think about when I reached my mid-30s, I thought it was all downhill from here, but I feel like I'm reaching my prime right now and I mean, it's incredible because here I've been a runner for 27 years and I'm still getting better, you know, at age 40, I'm somebody that doesn't really limit myself. If I set a goal for something, like, I just go after it. I just, you know, bite down and go after that goal. It's not just me trying to reach a personal goal. I'm doing this for the world. I'm doing this to, you know, elevate the sport, to raise the bar on what women think is possible.
1: The Rich Roll Podcast. I've been known to host an ultra runner or two here on the show over the years. And for those of you who enjoy those types of conversations, you, my friends, are in for a treat because today's guest is no ordinary ultra runner. Camille Herron has been on an absolute tear as of late, collecting world records with wild abandon and is well on her way to not only rewriting history when it comes to human capability, but also how we think about athletic ability as we age. Camille's accomplishments are far too numerous to list here, but highlights include 21 marathon victories, winning the Comrades Marathon in 2017, becoming the first athlete to win world championship titles in the 50K, 100K, and 24 hours, and clocking the most miles in a 24-hour period, 167.8 to be specific, of any woman in history. Earlier this year at the Jackpot 100, just after turning 40, Camille won the race outright beating all the men and bested her own 100 mile road world record by clocking 12 hours, 41 minutes. It's an effort that also earned her the 12 hour world record and a slew of masters world records as well. In addition, Camille is the youngest woman to reach 100,000 lifetime running miles She recently beat Harvey Lewis to outright win the strolling gym 40 miler, and she holds my favorite world record, fastest marathon in a superhero costume, running 248 dressed head to toe as Spider Woman. Needless to say, Camille is a force of nature. This is just an awesome conversation and it's coming right up, but first. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential, deep dive, all-party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for a proper recovery and function. Momentus products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentus.com slash roll From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. Okay, so the other really interesting thing about Camille is that Similar to Courtney DeWalter, the ultra phenom she's often compared to, Camille is just a really happy and joyous person. So what is that all about? Well, what that's all about is something we definitely get into today, as well as her backstory, of course, her unique quality over quantity training style. We talk about how she thinks about narrowing the gender gap in ultra running, the importance of strength training, how blood work has impacted her focus on nutrition, the difference between trail running and road running. We also talk about her near-term goals and future ambitions, how she manages being married to her coach, Connor Holt, how running can be self-transcendent and many other interesting topics. Camille's a kick in the pants. She's also a super fun hang and just this unbridled optimist and, generally just amazingly inspiring, especially for those of us who are pondering our athletic capabilities as we age up. My name is Rich Roll. This is the Rich Roll Podcast, and here we go, me and Camille Heron. Well, welcome to Los Angeles. Thank you. We have some nice weather for you.
0: (laughs) It got pretty warm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, warm up. it's good for you, right? Like, yeah, you need, you need a little bit of heat acclimation as yeah. you're thinking about uh, bad water sometime in your future, yeah, I would yeah. imagine, right? Well,
0: I'm training for Western States right now. I know. Now. That's
1: it's, the big goal at the moment. Yeah. Right? So, how's it all going?
0: Oh, great. Oh, great. I'm super fit. Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm like already, you know, under seven weeks out right now. And I've been road training and uh, my speed is amazing right now. I mean, I just won a 40 miler last yeah. weekend. And I mean, that was a short speed work for me. <laughs> right. I'm tra- I'm trained more for hundred miles and beyond. So uh, running, you know, 40 miles was like a piece of cake. It seemed like, but I mean, it's still hilly. So it kind of, it's kind of priming me for Western States right mm-hmm. now. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, doing the trail run with Shannon got me more on trails and I just, I feel fast.
1: Good. Super well, fast. you are fast.
0: I feel fast, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and let, and that, that 40 miler last week was a Laz race, right? And you yeah. took Harvey down to the mat.
0: I did. I did. It was super fun. I mean, like, just, I mean, we love each other. And I mean, it's just, you know, competitive spirit out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, when Connor told me that he was two minutes behind and then 50 seconds behind, and I only had a couple miles ago, I said, it's time to go beast mode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so. you're on like quite a tear. I mean, you've had yeah. like an unbelievable last sort of 18 months. of yeah. Just, Ticking off world records and winning races. So the mojo that you have right now going into Western States has gotta be pretty empowering.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I've, you know, of all the races I've got to win, you know, I've won comrades and uh, the bucket list, uh, triple crown of ultras is to win comrades, Western States, UTMB. So uh, I'm really focused on Western States now. And, you know, once I can tick that off then I can focus on UTMB and uh, try to become the first athlete to win the triple crown of ultras. So, uh, but yeah, I won comrades back in 2017. And um, yeah, I've just, Mm -hmm. I've been focused more on world records here the past couple of years. And now I'm kind of starting to focus more on trail running and uh, yeah, it's just really fun, so.
1: Well, you're collecting world records like it's a bad habit. I can't even <laughs> keep track of how many world records you you have. And every time you do a race, multiple records fall because these <laughs> races are so long. And now that you're a master's athlete, yep. you're collecting those along the way as well. So it's hard yeah. to even know where to start here. But I think maybe let's begin with the most recent, like the jackpot 100 mile world record, because that's the thing that got a lot of attention for you all of a sudden, and sort of took you out of the insular, subculture of ultra running and kind of put you in mainstream awareness because you got a lot of media attention for that. Mm -hmm. So walk me through how you broke this world record for running hundred miles.
0: Yeah, so uh, fortunately I ran jackpot last year and uh, that was the race that made me realize I had some issues with my health. And so I ended up doing a lot of blood work right after that race and found out that I had high iron and low magnesium. Mm-hmm. So I was imbalanced in terms of my minerals. And so going into Western States last year, I had these health issues and um, I just didn't have time to really troubleshoot and get my health uh, in balance for Western States. So after Western States in July, I started working with a dietitian. And she was the one that started altering my diet. Uh, I started doing what's called the root cause protocol uh, to try and uh, get my iron down and get my magnesium up. And uh, it's kind of this quirky diet that I have to uh, consume. And so she was the one that got me, you know, consuming, changing my diet a bit. And that was what relit the inferno that I've been missing the past couple years. So I was really determined. Um, I've been on quite a and um, I won the Javelin 100. I went to Desert Solstice and yeah, I've just been breaking records. Right. Like Desert well,
1: Solstice was th- a 24-hour race.
0: Yeah, so I ended she up, won. yeah, I ended up, uh, I was actually pacing for 24 hours and I ended up uh, deciding to uh, stop at 100 miles because I was having a bit of a knee issue at that race, but I ended up breaking my world record for hundred miles on the track. So I still got records at that race. And, um, and then I was able to recover from that race and go into jackpot 100, uh, just, you know, really ready to redeem myself and, uh, knew it had a really good competitive field for both the men and the women. And yeah, I mean, I was training, you know, pretty, pretty conservatively because it was kind of early, you know, in January, and I'm obviously trying to build up for Western mm. states. So yeah, training for jackpot, and um, the race is in February, and so it's kind of an early season race. So I wasn't training super hard in January. I was just training, you know, pretty modestly going into it. Uh, and then on top of it, we decided to move back to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, which is my home state. And um, and so yeah, we did that. Like I don't know, was it was like two weeks before jackpot. Right. The <laughs> I felt like just getting back to being around my friends and my family kind of gave me a bit of a boost going into the jackpot 100. And yeah, I mean, I just went in like, you know, pretty open-minded with, uh you know, not knowing if I could go for my world records, but obviously ready to redeem myself and have a really good performance after last year's race, so.
1: Right, so the jackpot for people who don't know is in Las Vegas and it's <laughs> sort of a little bit over, it's like a 1.2 mile loop or something like that. You do like 85 loops and what's interesting (laughs) is that it's a public park, right? It's open like people are walking their dogs and pushing their kids in strollers and you kind of have to dodge those people as you're running around, right? Yeah. Do yeah. they even know what's going on?
0: <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. Um I mean, when I look at my GPS after the race, I think I had like 100.1 miles. So, uh, you know, who knows how much of that, you know, is With weaving side
1: stepping. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am pretty I'm pretty used to that cuz like when I go to the 24-hour World Championship, I Weaving around people for twenty four hours, so uh, obviously there's a little bit of you know the added challenge of trying not to trip and fall, and uh, a little bit of extra added mileage that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I actually going into Jackpot One Hundred. Um, I mean, the men took off. You know, I let the men go, and I said I'm going to run my own race. And just see what happens. You know, I really trusted myself that I was going to be strong later in the race because uh, women tend to be really strong later <laughs> in the races. And so I just had that trust in myself that I was going to chase down the men. And um, sure enough, it started to happen. Uh, you know, after 50 miles, I mean, I caught a couple of the men. And before I know it, I'm chasing down the, the top man, uh, Arlen Glick. Um, after 80 miles. And so, um, in my mind, that's like, you know, taking the bull by the horns. Like, I, I grew up in Oklahoma and I always have this mental image of this bull behind our house when I grew up. And uh, imagine myself, you know, take the bull by the horns and staring him in the eyes and just, you know, just ride the ride the bull, you know? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, for perspective, <laughs> you uh, you win that race in 12 hours and 41 minutes. So, that's a 7:30 seven pace, right? Yeah. And I think some of your last miles were around the seven minute mark or even below that. Like you yeah. were just killing it all the way to the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was it was super fun. I am um, I think of myself, I grew up as a basketball player and I think of Michael Jordan, you know, nailing the free throws, you know, to win the championship. And in my mind that that's what it's about. It's about that feeling mm-hmm. of, you know, being on being on the free throw line, trying to nail the free throws. And so, um, I, you know, I, I channel a lot of thoughts. Everybody wants to know what's going in my head. And um, I mean, I grew up as a basketball player learning how to shoot free throws because of my dad. And so when I'm in that position to, you know, take the bull by the horn, shoot the free throws, um, I mean, I just really step up my game, and I think that that's that's what I'm really good at, you know, bringing bringing out the best of me. You know, at the, those clutch moments when you know I have that opportunity to break a world record or to win a world championship, like that's what I do best. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much in everything you just said about the nutrition stuff and the blood work, also the confidence in your race strategy and how you mm-hmm. think about pace, and I want to get into all of that, but. Let's talk about you growing up in Oklahoma, your father and your grandfather were both basketball players at University of Oklahoma. And there's this sort of legendary story out there about when you're seven years old and you're shooting free throws for like hours and hours and hours without water. Like this is deeply woven into like your DNA, like this idea of persistence and hard work and determination and athletic prowess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I got it from my dad and my grandpa. And you know, there's four kids in my family and of all the kids, I was the one that was athletic and really aspired to be like my grandpa and my dad. Um, And our mom is also a great athlete as well. She was a really good swimmer and golfer. And um, I was just telling my friend Shannon last night, I was like "The, the first sport I learned how to play was actually golf Mm. and we lived out in the country and um, I'm the type of person that's pretty OCD. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I mean, I, I grew up, you know, obviously playing basketball, dribbling in our uh, dribbling, shooting the ball in the driveway, but golf was actually the sport that I first learned from my parents. And I used to hit golf balls, like just relentlessly, like out into the field. And and then I would go out there with a bucket and, you know, grab all these balls. But, um, I mean, I, I wanted to be like my dad and my granddaddy. Grandpa, um, cuz i'm built like them i'm uh-huh. tall and lean and yeah, i have just got the the athletic genes and my dad my dad was always like oh you know we played we played basketball for 6 hours without water and you know you don't want to you know, tell you're- I can do that <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in my mind, like I had it in in my mind that I had to push myself like they did without water, and I mean I would do that. It's not like they forced me to do it. I just thought that's what I had to do, mm. and so I'd be practicing in the driveway until I'm blacking out, and then I would run inside, and my mom would have a big bowl of uh, sweet tea and and uh, make some ice sweet tea, and like have a sandwich and soup and pickles, and I would get. Energize and Mm -hmm. I would go back out and I'd keep practicing. And so, you know, I was, it was like I was training for ultras without even realizing it. Right, right,
1: right. And it sounds like it was all very self motivated. I mean, your father and your grandfather were examples, but but what I didn't hear is you say, they were pushing you like this was coming from within you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I was just relentless. I just had drive. Like I was competitive. I was driven. I used to play basketball with the boys in our neighborhood, and um, and even at school I played with the boys. And, uh-huh. uh, and in fact, one of one of my childhood friends, and um, he remembered me running in uh, elementary school, and I totally forgot about that. But uh, I mean, some of my childhood friends remember me. Me, you know, playing sports with the boys, and I just, I didn't, didn't even think anything of, you know, them being better than me. Yeah. I just, I just grew up with this mindset of, I'm going to beat the boys. I'm going to, you know, outrun them. I'm going to outplay them on the court. And yeah, that was my mindset.
1: Right. And that's exactly what you're doing today, <laughs> killing yeah. all the dudes. Um, where do you make the transition from basketball to running?
0: yeah what so uh, yeah so i i I was a really I was a pretty good runner in elementary school in fact I, I totally forget about that, but uh, my friends bring it up they we used to run uh the the presidential physical fitness right. mile in elementary school and I was the best girl at my school and I and they used to actually run the boys and the girls separate. And um, and then I'd be having to compare my time to the boys because none of the girls could keep up, and so uh, I always wish I could race the boys because uh, I think I could have, you know, run faster. And uh-huh. um, but yeah, then in the seventh grade, uh, we had to go out for I, I was a basketball player, and everybody had to go out for track. Uh, for our off season conditioning. And um, from the first day, I mean, I could just run and run and run just relentless. Like I didn't get tired. And I remember like all the other girls. Shocking.
1: It's shocking to <laughs> you. I mean, like your energy is like off the chain.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I had so much energy and I mean, it makes sense because I was a point guard on the, on the court And my strategy as a point guard was always to try and like run all over the place and Mm -hmm. wear out whoever was guarding me. And I knew I could outlast them. And so when I went went out for track, it was obvious, like from the first run, I remember running uh, loops around the school and the other girls would start walking and I'm just full of energy. Uh I just kept going. So um, so, yeah, I just, that's kind of what planted the seed in my mind, like, oh, this is really easy for Mm me. (laughs) Um, And then I went out for cross country in the eighth grade, and I remember my first cross country race. And um, all the other little girls looked like me. And I'm, I've always been a string bean. And and um, yeah, going out for cross country was like this epiphany. Like, wow, I think I I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. This is
1: my tribe. These, yeah, all these kids look like me. Like now, yeah. and they're into the same stuff and all of that. And yeah. that was that from then on out?
0: Oh, I, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. I mean, cross country, because we, we grew up out in the country running around the wheat fields by our house and cross country was that same feeling. Like I felt like cross country is what really got me hooked on running. And I felt like that's what I, that's what I my calling is to, you know, to be a runner. Um, and so I actually didn't get my height until I was in high school and um, after I had quit basketball. And so uh, it's really funny because is, uh, you know, I, I maybe I could have gone on with the basketball. Like I wonder, you know, so yeah. in fact, my, my husband bought bought me a basketball a couple years ago and he had never seen me with a basketball and he was just really shocked because, and I hadn't even practiced or done uh-huh. anything in years. And my husband just saw this whole other side of me as an athlete. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to wonder, you know, what if I had gone on with right. the basketball? Yeah, so. like
1: some kind of sliding doors thing where how do you just move a little bit over in the other direction, you'd be playing in the WNBA right now <laughs> yeah. and breaking records for, you know, I don't know, being one of the older people doing it and still <laughs> killing everyone.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I think I could have been, I could have Probably you know been a good rower. I probably could have been good endurance for any yeah. any other sport you know that's comparable. Um, I mean, I learned how to row like ten years ago, and um, I just easily picked it up. And um, I almost thought like, do I?
1: Do I should do an, iron, do an iron. You do an Ironman. Your mom was a swimmer, right? There's yeah. that too. Um,
0: I wasn't really a swimmer. Um, mm. I was more of a land sport athlete. But yeah, funny enough, I did not become a swimmer because um, I fell into. A pool when I was three and I almost drowned and I uh, my mom had to dive in and get me and um, I was pretty traumatized from the water and, and that's pretty much why I did not that was become it. a swimmer. Oh, that's
1: so <laughs> sad. We can work through that trauma. I know. I mean, we can but... we can unpack that here and get you back in the pool. Um, yeah. So So so. Uh, You've just surpassed your 100,000th mile of running. I don't know how you've tracked all of this going all (laughs) the way back to then. I guess it's a bit of an honor system in this world of like people who have run more than a 100,000 miles, but it began back then. And it sounds like you had success from the outset. I mean, what was it like in high school when you were running cross country and developing your skill.
0: Yeah, so um, yeah, so when I first started tracking my mileage and um, was like kind of loosely back in junior high and high school, um, just kept a calendar and um, my dad is, you know, he's like a statistician and historian and he's kind of the one that planted the seed to, to be able to track my mileage to see what my training load is, you know, and try to figure out, you know, like not to not to increase my mileage too much. and that's sort of thing. So I just kind of loosely tracked it back then. Um, But I actually started more uh, tracking it in more detail back in 2002 when I was in college. I was in a, a research study at Stanford and I had to start tracking my mileage back then, like in more detail. Uh-huh. And so uh, that's when I started keeping my first proper training log. And uh, I have all my mileage tracked since 2002. Wow. And um, yeah, and I, uh, because I'm, I'm a bit of a stats geek, which, yeah. you know, I credit to my dad, and um, I learned how to do spreadsheets and, um, Keeping stats, you know, with spreadsheets. And like, I have all this like detailed information on like injuries and, and just, yeah, like paces, right. everything. Right. Yeah. Numbers yeah.
1: geek. Um, yeah. And I think with that, you're, I think you're the youngest to yes. have surpassed 100,000 miles. Yeah. Right. So there's I'm, another record. There's, there's no wonder <laughs> how many records you're breaking, but <laughs> um, I love yeah. the attention to detail and the math and the statistics. I think, you know, I'm sure you get compared to Courtney DeWalter like all the time, right? And and there's so many just in spending a few minutes with you, I can already like identify all these sort of similar personality traits, like the joyfulness, the happiness, the enthusiasm, and there is a sort of happy-go-lucky attitude. But I think what just <laughs> dis- differentiates you from her is that like attention, like the the math side of you.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm a I'm a math geek. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was on the math team when I was in junior high and uh, academic teams, and I credit my dad for being the one that. I mean, I used to help my dad with baseball cards and learning baseball stats, and so when I got into running, I'm learning running stats and you know times and uh, track and field and yeah, I'm I'm a total like right. running dork. So <laughs> right, right,
1: right. <laughs> so so you go on to this illustrious career on the road. I mean, you've won like twenty. 20- one marathons, is that right? Yeah. You won Comrades. That was in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. I mean that had to be a career highlight, winning that. Oh crazy
0: yeah, race. oh yeah. yeah. I I actually after I won comrades, I thought I could retire. <laughs>
1: uh huh. Yeah, I mean, what's left? With all those thousands of people cheering you on. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine much could live up to that.
0: No, I yeah, I literally the 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 month after that race, I was like, I think I can retire now, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to reformulate my goals, um, and I realized like, oh, there's all these world records I can go after, and and um you know that was kind of at the beginning of my ultra career and uh, a lot of people were trying to push me into trail running and i started getting my feet wet and doing trail running but i really had to follow my heart and my heart was telling me to go after the world records so after i won Comrades in June and um, later in the fall is when i started setting like the 12 hour 100 mile world records and um yeah that was you know what started me like yeah, yeah.
1: you're like this is easy <laughs> This is like low hanging fruit for me. Uh, I think it's unique and interesting that you're coming into ultra running with this illustrious career on the road. So you have all this speed, right? Like a lot of people who get into ultra running, don't have that type of background or that type of success in other areas of running. So you're bringing this new elite level of being able to just crush it in terms of pace Mm -hmm. that's new. And then the question becomes, can that be extended? Right? And you're proving like, actually it can. And that's the way that you train also. You're still training like an elite marathon or Mm -hmm. not like how we think about ultra distance trail runners where it's just go out and run really long as many times a week as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think that that's that's what differentiates me is that I I had a marathoning career for 10 years and I just brought my marathon training approach into ultra running. And literally for my first 100K, I broke my first record by Anne Tracen. And um, I mean, I was pretty naive. I didn't know how ultra runners train. I didn't even know who Anne Tracen was like, I had read about her, I guess everybody read Born to Run and I had uh-huh. read that back when I was a marathoner, but I didn't really know like anything about the sport, how the athletes train. I just came into the sport with a marathon training approach and started breaking records. And I figured why change what works? Yeah. And so I've been able to go longer with marathon training and continued to break the records and i haven't really found you know a limitation to the way that i train um obviously if i'm training for trail i do more trail running but i'm still you know that foundation mm-hmm. of being a uh, marathon training you know works for uh, it's worked all the way up to 24 hours so far so right.
1: And you're not doing crazy long runs. Like your longest runs are between 18 and 22. And you yep. only do that every couple of weeks, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I In fact, I was just telling my friend Shannon this morning, I was like the, the longest training run I've done in the past five years is 22 miles. Um, wow. And I, yeah. And so I told her, I was like the, the the only time I ever go further than that is if I race. So it's almost like the race you races. are racing a lot. Yeah. So
1: that is part of the training.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I just ran a 40 miler last weekend. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, why do I need to do more long runs, you know, yeah. when I just ran 40 miles? So uh, I think, you know, racing is training. And, um, you know, racing develops your fitness as well. And so, um, I just really focus on recovering between my races and making sure I feel really good and uh, do do a lot of quality work, which is really important. Uh, Trying to keep in touch with my leg speed is super important. I find if I get away from my leg speed too much that I get a a little bit flat. And so, uh, you know, coming from a short distance background, I still kind of have to tap into that, so. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, a couple observations with that, just so people aren't confused. It's not (laughs) like you're not training. I mean, you run twice a day, most days, right? So you're still you're still crossing over the 100 miles a week mark pretty consistently, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I get in, you know, 100, 130 miles per week, but I do it in 12 to 13 runs a week. So uh, right. yeah, I'm just doing short, mainly short, frequent runs. And then, you know, every couple of weeks I might do a long run or I'll do a race. Um, but really it's just, you know, I feel like I recover really well uh, with my training approach and I feel really good and energized and it, Makes me really feel really fresh and strong when I go into races that I'm not beat down from a lot of mm. long runs mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, in fact, when I when I first got into the sport, I mean, I I kind of experimented with doing you know 30 mile plus training runs, and I found that I just felt tired trying to do that. So when I went back down to shorten my long runs and went back down to only 18 to 22 mile long runs uh, every couple of weeks, so that's when I started to feel fresher. Sure. Right,
1: fresher, able to bounce back more quickly. And that way your, your training sessions are of a higher quality yes. in general, right? Yeah. Um, your husband Connor is here. He's your coach, he has been <laughs> for a long time. I'm interested in getting like really nitty gritty and detailed about the training. Like I'm, yeah. what is the ratio of like the easy runs to the hard tempo speed work? Like it appears that you train on the polarities, either you're going really chill or you're you know, crushing intervals at, you know, at the other end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, actually, Strava is really helpful for for knowing kind of the stats on my training. I think that last year it said that eighty six percent of my training was easy and considered an easy pace. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's easy? uh, So for me, like I guess on road that would be like an eight to nine minute per mile pace. Um, On trail, it might be quite a bit slower. Um, But yeah, I mean I'm going uh, about sixty five to seventy percent of max heart rate effort. Mm as my easy pace. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm doing, you know, 86% is pretty aerobic, easy easy type of training. And then my hard days are very hard. And like, I might be doing like, I don't know, anywhere between six to 18 miles at like a pretty hard, hard effort. Um and so we operate pretty much on a two week training cycle where we have short intervals, long intervals, a hill session and a progression run. Mm-hmm. So um in between those four main workouts, it's just easy, you know, aerobic mm-hmm. training, and um, running twice a day. And so yeah, being a twenty four hour runner, I have to be used to training, you know, multiple times a day and being comfortable, you know, early morning or late at night. And so um yeah, I just get myself comfortable for that.
1: Right. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears, that would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment, so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free, and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue and it's been wonderful as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer that's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. So yeah, you like to do the evening runs, don't you? Yes. Yeah. How much of the, the tempo and hard efforts are like track-based or interval-based You know, in that kind of traditional track and field approach versus like, oh, I'm just going out on the road and it's gonna be six miles at this level of intensity?
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess if I'm doing 14% of my training, um, I mean, I, I do like 90 second repeats is like kind of my short sprint type workouts. I mean, that's like, uh, I usually do it on road too. I don't do it on track. I, I hate uh-huh. the track. <laughs> which is really funny. Uh I absolutely hate the track. I don't train on the track at all. Um, So I do everything on road and and I do like 90 second repeats, maybe like five to six minute long intervals and sometimes maybe two miles or three mile intervals, which Mm -hmm. might be like half marathon or marathon pace. Um, And then my progression runs might be anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes and where I progress it from about 80% of max heart rate effort up to 90%. Uh, and so, yeah, when I when I race uh, 50 miles to 100K that I equate that to about 80% of max heart rate right. effort. And then when I run 100 miles, it's like 75% of max heart rate. Uh, and then when you do 24 hours, that's more like a super chill, like 65 to 70% of max heart rate, so.
1: Mm-hmm. And you wear a heart rate strap chest strap to, to gauge all of that and monitor it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: What's your max heart rate? Uh,
0: yeah, actually I've kind of gotten, uh, it hasn't really dropped that much. Um, since I've been tested, I was tested when I was in uh, grad school on a treadmill uh, and figured it out. I think back then I think it was like uh, maybe 198 mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I mean, like 15 years later, it's still like one, probably about 192 to
1: 194. Wow. So, so so, if you're running 100 mile ultra and you're trying to keep it right at 75% of max, for the whole time. That's like what, 145 or somewhere around yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah, about
0: 145 to 150. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't I don't wear my heart rate strap during the race. Um, I just practice it in training and get a feel for the effort that I wanna go at. And then when I do the race, it's all just effort-based. And um, and then eventually, like, you know, 80 miles into the race is in my Forget mind. That
1: and then you just go. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just stitch right. it and just run as hard as I can. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you do proper lactate testing also?
0: I haven't done that. Um, in so fact, I'm a numbers that's, geek. I'm I surprised. know. I know. Yeah. Um, But funny enough, like my research that I did as an undergrad was blood lactate testing with strength training. Mm. And so I got got familiar with uh, blood lactate testing with strength training. I've actually never done it on myself, but when I do uh, my heart rate based progression runs, I push it up to the point where I start to fill my blood lactate and uh, know Mm -hmm. what my heart rate is for that. And then I train so that my heart rate is just below that. So that I, you know, I'm training my blood lactate threshold, so. Right,
1: so you have this massive aerobic capacity where you can train and race at 75 to 80% of max heart rate without creeping into that anaerobic zone. But it would be cool, you should get, it would be amazing to look at that graph and to see where it is exactly and then track it over time. Because I think what's really interesting about you now being 40 and being this master's athlete and somebody who's entered the sport with a huge amount of speed, obviously as we get older, the speed becomes harder to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And that's like your secret <laughs> weapon right now. So it's yeah. like double down on that. How can I leverage this speed and and you know blow the lid on all these world records. But at the same time, what's exciting is that as that speed will naturally wither with age, just no matter what you do, you have this whole realm of continuing to be able to develop your aerobic capacity as an endurance athlete, right? Which is sort of like with you doing the shorter stuff and not doing the longer stuff, I feel like there's a lot of room to grow there that will serve you well as you kind of continue along.
0: Yeah, well, I, I feel like definitely I'm physically stronger since I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that because when I start to do like these these progression runs, um, you know starting at like my hundred mile effort, like 75% working up to 80, 90%, my pace is faster and it feels right. easier. And I like the things I'm doing now, I couldn't do five years ago. I've just got this strength, this physical strength that I didn't have. And so I feel like maybe what I had and uh, there's kind of been this shift in like you know maybe I was faster you know ten years ago but I didn't have the strength and now I'm kind of like more strength um, and able to hold that speed right. so um, it's really interesting I feel like I'm like in my prime right now I've like got this really good balance for uh, both speed and strength and it's really more my strength that is allowing me to do amazing things right so.
1: and you have been doing more strength work right like I know yeah. you got like a squat rack and yeah. Kind of focused on that in a way that you didn't used to.
0: Yeah, yeah. We bought a squat rack a year ago, and um, and I, I mean that I, I'd always worked like my upper body, and I, I'd always just let the training like take care of my lower body, and um. But I, I was in a car accident three years ago, and I injured my back, mm. and um, and I've had a lot of breakdown on the right side of my body. And um, and I've had to drop from races because I just my body was breaking down. And I finally said, you know, I need to I need to work on this. I need to work on whole body strength. And so we bought the squat rack. And um, working my back has made such a difference. Like it's just kind of unraveled all these kinks that I had developed on the right side of my body. Mm. And I feel that when I race, especially like later uh, when I'm running a hundred miles, I feel it later in the race. Like I feel like my form and my Stable. posture. Yeah. a lot better.
1: In addition to squats, what other dry land strength stuff <laughs> do you do?
0: Um uh, gosh. Uh yeah, I mean we've got a gym and I have like a bench and I've really kind of I mean I've gone through different protocols over the years of just either doing upper body or some combo of upper body and lower body. And really I've just got it down to four main exercises that I do. Um, and so I do the bench press and push-ups and squats and deadlifts, Uh and that's it. That's it. Yeah.
1: That's cool, Yeah, it seems to be working, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: And I love this idea of racing at 75% of max heart rate, like it's so simple. And that just then dictates your strategy. So you mentioned earlier at jackpot and these other races, like the men dart off the starting line and it's easy to fall into like, Forgetting about your race strategy. Oh my God, they're getting away. I, I need to like match pace. But you're like, no, nope, this is what I'm doing. Yep. This is a long day, right? And yeah. then, you know, come eight hours into it or whatever, yep. you start to like, you know, oh, there they are. They're falling apart and yeah. I'm still good. Just stick to what I'm doing. Because in those races, you're not really racing anyone else. No. You're just racing yourself, right? Yeah. And to have a clear strategy that works for you and the confidence to, maintain it even when there's all this other stuff happening around you that you can't control. I think yeah. it's really powerful.
0: Totally, I just think I've, I- I just think I have a bit of maturity in the sport that I feel like I'm a veteran now and that I can be more confident in, you know, pulling back the reins earlier in the race and trusting that I can sustain it better uh, later in the race. And so I I think it's just taken me time to to get that feeling and to to know that I don't have to go out with the men, that I can pull it back and, you know, kind of work more with my natural physiology. And uh, it's been working really, Uh really well. And even, you know, on the trails, yeah, everybody's like, Well, how do you how do you translate that effort to the trials? And I feel like I have such a good sense of what seventy-five percent effort feels like that even when I get on the trials, I can channel that effort and um yeah, and I just have, you know, that confidence that later in the race I'm gonna, you know, start to gain on the men. So
1: Yeah. Well, you've been you've been killing it on the track and on the road. And I think it's you would agree like you've excelled in these road ultras. And in races that are relatively flat, I mean, jackpot had 3000 feet of elevation gain and you broke the world record. Like what would have happened <laughs> on a totally flat track? Yeah. I guess we'll find out because uh, you'll no, no doubt do that at some point. But, but trails is sort of a new terrain for you to conquer, right? A, yeah. lot, of, a lot of elevation gain, a lot of technical running. Like how are you, Reconfiguring your training, or maybe you're not to figure out that equation.
0: Yeah, well, I've I found that I tend to do better on the trails if I'm really more focused on road and um, to get my turnover going. Uh, even running this morning, I mean, I got on trails with a lot of like climbing and descents, and I was like, whoa, it, it's, uh, I mean, I grew up, I grew up. Like, just to kind of give the analogy, I grew up uh, playing the French horn and we used to buzz into the mouthpiece. And once you'd put the mouthpiece on the instrument, you're just like, woo, like yeah, yeah. just kind of like singing on the instrument. And that's kind of what it feels like when I really channel a lot of my road training and my leg speed and then bring it to the trails. It's just like, I'm flying uphill mm-hmm. and downhill. And I think that really the key for me that I found and um, when I have done like kind of more technical trail races is I just have to like practice and get that, that technical skill. Um, and I've been really working on that the past year. Um, we lived in Arizona uh, for, for a while and I was running on more like technical rocky stuff. And I feel like I kind of gained a better sense of how to control my body um, on more technical terrain. And it's actually becoming more fun. Like uh-huh. I think like maybe five, six years ago when I got into trail running, it was kind of intimidating. And now I feel like I'm kind of like getting that sense of how to control the movement of my body on, on technical terrain. And so, um, yeah, I mean, obviously I, I've been more focused on road and track stuff, but I'm really, really excited to get into more trail running and just see what I can do. So. Yeah,
1: I think the strength training probably is very helpful in that like sort of body stability, because now you're kind of all over the place. It's yeah. I mean, when you're on the road or the track, it's like, it's like a metronome, right? Like you just get into your pace and you just do your thing and you're doing these loops or whatever and it becomes this mental game, but it's very steady state, right? Whereas in a trail, even when it's an ultra, like you're up, you're down, you're flat, you're descending, like your heart rate isn't gonna be like completely in the same place every time. So it's about training your body to be able to come back to baseline more quickly or be able to bounce back and adapt to all of those different inputs.
0: Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, even, I mean, I went and ran Hovellina uh, last fall and uh, getting yeah. back on trail and, you know, just flowing with that terrain and the technicality. I feel like I'm gaining a better sense of how to, uh, I guess, like throttle my gears like a bike, uh, you know, knowing when to pull back and when to push. And um, it's fun for me. I feel mm-hmm. like, like I like you said, I mean, I, I'm used to the road and track stuff being a metronome, but I get on trail and it's kind of this like, you know, throttling your gears and uh, learning how to move with the terrain and it's fun. It's beautiful. I really like the camaraderie out there. Like just you know going through the aid stations and seeing people and they're cheering me on and like that really amps yeah, yeah. you up. So.
1: Are you think who is your competition at Western States, or do you not even think about that? You're just thinking about what you need to do for you.
0: Yeah, I think I, I really, I'm really somebody that focuses internally on my own effort, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been working really well that I've been more channeling my own internal effort, and then you know maybe catching people later in the race, and I mean, it takes confidence to be able to do that, you mm-hmm. know, to be able to say that okay, maybe I need to hold back earlier in the race uh, to be stronger later in the race and um yeah i mean i think everybody's kind of known me as somebody that goes out really hard and uh, obviously you know i i work at a different pace than most people uh-huh. so even like me looking like i'm going out hard i might be still pulling it back you know and, and in my mind i'm running controlled and you know waiting for 80 miles or later in the race to you know really just kick it in so
1: how do you think about the gender gap, because in ultra running, maybe more than almost any other sport, we're seeing the women excel at a level in terms, in comparison, like in this ratio to men's performances um, that I think is super fascinating. Like the endurance capacity of the female body, particularly as we get older, the proof is in the pudding. Like you're you're matching stride for stride with the guys if not beating them outright. I mean, Harvey Lewis is one of the best ultra runners in the world and you just beat him <laughs> in a 40 miler last week. Like yeah. it's crazy, right? And I yeah. think um when you look at world record comparisons between men and women, I don't know how it breaks down in terms of that ratio, but it's much slimmer in mm-hmm. ultra running, right? Like you're, 100 mile world record compared to the men's. It's not, you know, they're not going that much faster than you.
0: Yeah. Well, th- that was the thing that was really interesting. It seemed like the longer I went, that the closer the gap right. got between me and the men's world records. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's funny because now the men's world records have been raised by Alexander Sorokin. Yeah,
1: that that Lithuanian guy. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, so I think I was running, um, I think it was at like 9.4% off the men's 100 mile world record. And then he's taken it to a whole (laughs) other level.
1: But that's the way it's supposed to be. Now you have something more to chase.
0: Exactly, I feel like, I mean, I'm inspired by what he's doing and it actually motivates me thinking, okay, maybe I need to really step up my game for Mm -hmm. 100 miles.
1: Yeah, what did he do 1141 or something like Uh, that? What was his? Oh gosh, I I think he
0: did like, 1051. Um, and the, oh yeah,
1: ten fifty one. Those are that, so he's running six thirty one miles.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I mean, the record before he started breaking it was by Zach Bitter. I think yeah. he'd run like eleven nineteen. Right. So I mean, he's almost improved it by thirty minutes. And um, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to get on a track and mm-hmm. <laughs> improve my world records. And um, so yeah, I mean, I I'm super. It's super cool to see. I mean, I was doing it, you know, setting world records, and then Zach Bitter did it, and then now. Sorkin's doing it. I mean, we just keep raising the bar, right. and uh, it's super cool. But
1: I think in, on, on the right conditions, you could break 12 hours. Yeah. Don't you think?
0: I, I think I can. Um, uh, John Olson, uh, he was on the 24 hour team. So uh John Olson, I think I surpassed John Olson for 24 hours. And he's run eleven fifty nine for a hundred miles. Mm. So that kind of puts me in the ballpark of like, could I run eleven fifty something for a hundred miles? Yeah. But uh, it's gonna take like the right conditions and you know, being probably being on a track and um just being really dialed in for that, so. Right, right,
1: right, right, Yeah. I wanna go back to this nutrition piece because you mentioned getting blood work and having some indications that you needed to make some corrections. I don't wanna just blow past that because I think it's yeah. really interesting. So tell me more about how you were feeling. You get this blood test, you get these results and kind of what happened.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) it was pretty shocking. Um, I mean, you hear of endurance athletes getting anemia and having Mm -hmm. low iron, and I found out I had the opposite problem. Um, So I had high iron and I think the thing is like a lot of athletes think that they just have to test their ferritin. And I ended up having a full iron panel done with inside tracker. Mm -hmm. And all these iron markers were like way off the charts. And I was just shocked because here I've been checking my ferritin for many years and it's always been like kind of in the normal range. And then I go and get all these other iron markers tested and they're like off the charts. And it totally made sense to me because here I I was just having trouble. Like I I almost thought I was anemic. I felt like I was having symptoms that mimicked anemia because I was really tired in my training. And I'm trying to take more iron thinking that I'm anemic and then Mm -hmm. find out that I ended up having high iron. And so uh, it was just really shocking. And I found that it's actually hard to get your iron down.
1: Right, you can supplement to boost it, but how do you Lower it <laughs> if it's high without yeah. like bloodletting or donating <laughs> blood, right?
0: Yeah. So I mean, your body recycles iron. As from from what I've learned, is your body's recycling iron, so your body actually holds on to iron pretty well. And um, and so I've had to like work with a dietitian with kind of these quirky like. Uh, like balancing my copper and my magnesium and like, uh, because it all kind of interplays together. Um, But I've been having a lot of blood Taken out like mm-hmm. blood draws for blood tests the past year, and um, you know if I if I wasn't an endurance athlete, I would probably be donating blood like a pint of blood to try and get my iron down because it's that's really the solution to to really get it down. But uh, being an endurance athlete, if I took if I had a pint of blood taken out, who knows how it would impact yeah. my recovery? So. Yeah.
1: so- it's interesting you you're using Inside Tracker. I just started using it and we're working with them on the podcast and I just got my blood results back and my ferritin was low but my iron was high. Yeah. I don't know what that means. And I was like, I need to figure out what that means exactly. How can my iron be high and my ferritin levels be on the lower yeah.
0: side? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually asked my dietitian about that. I'm like, I'm like, why is are all my markers high? And then some people are like low, but then still like transferrin saturation or whatever could be high. And um she says it's like iron dysregulation that I guess like the body could be under a lot of stress. Mm. And so for some reason, like it just causes like this imbalance of the markers. So yeah, I I would suggest working with a dietitian because they're kind of the brains to to know what to do, so.
1: But it is unusual that you have these high, high ferritin levels What causes that? How could you, was it because you were supplementing thinking you were low or what contributed to your iron levels being so high?
0: Yeah, so I actually had the genetics test done for hemochromatosis and I don't have the genetics but apparently my body just naturally like really absorbs and holds on to iron. And so um, Mm. when we were living in Colorado, I was supplementing with iron, thinking that that was the sensible thing to do. And uh, because I learned since then that my body like retains iron really well, that um, I started getting really tired living in Colorado. And that was when I, I thought, you know, it like, is my body just not doing well? Like being being at high altitude. Well, the
1: altitude must have had some impact on it as well because it's telling your body like, we need more red blood cells, hold on to the, the iron is what captures the oxygen, so.
0: Yeah, it was was really interesting living in Colorado and feeling like something is uh, my body's just off and I thought I needed more iron and I'm trying to supplement with more iron, uh, not knowing that my body Hold on to iron really well, and so I was just making the problem worse without knowing it. And so we ended up deciding to move back down to lower altitude, thinking, well, the the high altitude isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, like, if I if I had been living at high altitude and not supplementing with iron, I probably would have been okay because it probably would have helped to better regulate my iron and keep my blood values down, and I probably would have felt fine. But the fact that I was supplementing with iron with uh, my body didn't need it, that mm. it just went like just crazy. Right. <laughs> so,
1: And how long has it taken to get it back to normal?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I've been on this special diet for a year and um, some of my iron markers are still a little bit high, but they've gotten down. Um, but I'm just going by how I feel. I felt so much better since I've been working with this special diet and uh, having like these minimal uh, blood draws done, so. Mm.
1: And what is the diet specifically? What does it look like?
0: Um yeah, it's kinda quirky. I I don't know how to describe what I'm doing. It's um, called the root cause protocol. Mm-hmm. And so um it's supposed to rebalance like the uh, it's supposed to like Taking in more copper and trying to get my copper up, and yeah, and I've been taking a lot of magnesium because my magnesium was low as well. And so, um, I guess w- if you if you want to know like the chemistry, you know, you're working with all these cations, these two two plus cations, um, because iron is a two plus cation, and so you're trying to rebalance and uh, restrict the iron absorption uh, by taking in more of the other cation, the two plus cations. So right.
1: I don't even, what does that mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, the chemistry, <laughs> I know, I'm like, yeah. And my, what, so my,
1: what foods are high in copper? Like, do you supplement with that or is that just in the choices of foods that are on your plate?
0: And yeah, I'm kind of like leaving that up to the dietitian. but uh-huh. I mean, I'm taking a lot of uh, nuts. There's a lot of different nuts that I'm taking and there's like bee pollen, uh, I'm taking mineral drops and that have like boron in them and a bunch of different things. And yeah, it's kind of quirky. I don't really know. Uh, I'm taking on like a lot of sodium, which is also mm. two plus cation, and um, and so it's kind of this quirky balance that is supposed to rebalance my minerals. And I'm just I'm just working with it. Like yeah,
1: no, I got it. And, and this also affects how you fuel during races, right? You're taking like mineral drops in the yeah. middle of a race. Yeah. So tell me about how you think about race nutrition and how that works.
0: Yeah, so one of the symptoms of, um, I think of the whole iron overload is I started having uh, GI issues. And um, even going back to the 24 hour world championship back in 2019, um, and so I think like when you have a lot of iron in your body, it causes oxidative stress. And so it, it was kind of stressing my gut. It was stressing like just like a lot of, I was having a lot of weird health issues. And so um, since we've been able to rebalance my uh, my minerals and my iron and, and taking mineral drops during races, like... I stopped having my gut problems. And Mm -hmm. it's been amazing um, because I'm somebody that has generally not had gut problems during races. I'm somebody that has a bit of an iron gut. So for me to be getting gut problems during races was really unusual. And um, so yeah, since we've changed my diet and I'm putting like mineral drops in my water during races, like I feel like a million bucks. Wow.
1: That's yeah. that's super interesting.
0: Yeah. Because I it really haven't really is. heard a
1: story like that before. But yeah. I think that's fascinating. It would be good to see like a full study on what exactly it is that that you're doing. I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually working with Inside Tracker and they're tracking my blood markers leading up to Western states. Ah, cool. And so so yeah, and I've had a lot of blood work the whole past year and um and even looking at things like vitamin A, vitamin D, and um, just all all these biomarkers, and so, um, it's really interesting. I mean, I just know that I feel better, and I feel like you know, regardless of what the biomarkers say, I know that I feel better, and mm. I've obviously, like, you know. Breaking world records. I yeah, mean.
1: <laughs> well, you definitely have a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. So something is, go, is going well. And yeah. what is the calorie fueling and electrolyte process when you're racing? Like do you you do increment like every 30 minutes you take X, Y, and Z, like what is that specifically?
0: Yeah, so um, obviously working for uh, 24 hours and under, like I can get by pretty much mostly on gels and water and sports drink. Um, and I only deviate from that when I feel like I need something different so um, everybody knows the story about me taking like tacos and burritos yeah. when I've done my 24 hour races and um, but but yeah I mean I can even for my 100 mile world records I mean every 30 minutes I was taking a gel with water and then just sipping sports drink. And the only thing that I deviated was, um, like, seventy miles into the race, I felt like I wanted something different, and I stopped for fifteen seconds and shotgunned a, a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I had read that. That's so funny. And you, you're—I mean, you're—you like your beers, but you got—you yeah. kind of got off the alcoholic beer because of how that increases iron um, absorption, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, when I started learning, you know, about my high iron and trying to trying to learn like what do I need to do differently? And um and yeah, me, me and my husband are, you know, beer connoisseurs, we love our beer. We, I mean, we drink, uh, in fact, we used to homebrew beer and so um I mean, we we just we love beer. But it actually was not that difficult to get off of, you know, stop drinking uh our regular IPAs every night for dinner cuz uh, we ended up switching to non-alcoholic beer mm-hmm. and and yeah, I mean there's some really great non alcoholic beers out mm-hmm. there. So if if anybody's wanting to get off of alcohol, that I mean there's some great non alcoholic options out there. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. And what does recovery look like? You mentioned that you're really prioritizing that these days. So what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen a change in my sleep, um, especially with the magnesium. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of experimented with um, my magnesium. Um, I think I'm taking like 700 milligrams a day by supplement, uh-huh. which is quite a bit.
1: Which supplement do you use, the Calm or which, which, what, what is the one specifically it used? You
0: know? um, yeah, so there, uh, there's like two different magnesium ones I use. They're by Jigsaw Health. I think it's a uh, magnesium malate and um, MagSoothe. Uh Um, And then I take the mineral drops as well. So I'm taking something like 300 milligrams of the mineral drops. And then I'm taking like another uh, 200 of magnesium malate. I think that's right. Yeah, something like that. Um, And it comes out to like 700 milligrams of magnesium. And I've seen um, as I increase my magnesium drops that I've seen like a change in my sleep. Um, And so that was, that's been huge. Like I feel like I'm recovering so much better since I've uh, gotten my sleep. I I was averaging like seven hours um, at night and now I'm like up to eight hours and then taking a two hour nap during the day, so. Wow,
1: that's huge. Do you take the magnesium at night or it doesn't matter when you take it during the day?
0: Yeah, so I usually take the magnesium malate for breakfast and lunch uh and then take the mag soothe at nighttime and then the mineral drops i take it in my water and my coffee like throughout the day and mm. um, so so i think it just it just i'm just pretty much taking it all day and um and then i also when i t- go do races i'm taking mineral drops during the races right, right, as well
1: right. When you did Inside Tracker, was your magnesium levels low or no?
0: Yeah, so trying to get my magnesium up has been really challenging um, because it was really low on Inside Tracker, um, but it has has gone up, and um, and I know like just based on how I feel and how I'm sleeping, like, and I feel a difference in my muscles when I run, and that you know whatever, even if the biomarkers aren't necessarily like up to where they should be, I just know that the way I feel is so much better.
1: Right, so nine hours of sleep a night plus two hour nap. Yeah. Are you wearing a sleep tracker? Do you do do you do like Aura Ring or the Whoop or anything like that?
0: Yeah, I've kind of I've uh, so I have Coros and uh, mm-hmm. the Chorus watch and uh, I track like my deep sleep and um, I mean I'm getting like two to two and a half hours of deep sleep a night. Yeah, like, that's good. Yeah, really good sleep and um, I mean it's it's incredible and it's really interesting to see like after races and uh, my sleep might be off for like a week or so and uh-huh. um, but then I go back into like this really deep sleep and I'm just just like super like charged and feeling good, so.
1: How long does it take you to bounce back from these races?
0: Yeah, I uh, it's been incredible. Like, I feel like since I've changed my diet, like I've almost like rolled the clock back 10 years that, and I mean, I used to run marathons back to back and I could do them like a week apart or two weeks apart. And now I'm like recovering from ultras, like with the same recovery Uh powers. And uh, I mean, I just did like a track ultra ran um, a couple of weeks ago and then came back and did a 40 miler and broke the course records there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever I'm doing, I, I really think like just the recovery, the sleep aspect has made a huge difference. Um, oh, I forgot, forgot to mention, I'm also taking Epsom salt baths. Mm. Um, and so that was, a, that was something that I've just been doing the past couple of weeks that uh, my dietitian recommended. And I did that after my past two races. And it's like supercharging right.
1: me. So that's like mineral absorption through the skin.
0: Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you do like the Norma, the Normatec boots. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any? Do you use those too? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, I
0: do. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I have the Rapid Reboot Recovery Boots. And uh, I've had those for over five years. And um, the first time I knew that they made a difference was we had traveled to New Zealand with them and uh, to go run the Tarawera ultra marathon. And it was the first time after a race, I did not have uh, ankle swelling Mm -hmm. after the race. And so I was kind of like hooked on the recovery boots after that. Right,
1: right. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story. But basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. being married to your coach,
0: <laughs> I I think it's okay. I think it's yeah. okay. I mean, Connor's um, giving the
1: thumbs up. Thumbs, you know, he's a thumbs down now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it has to be like there. Ha, it has to be challenging at times, right? Like this, yeah. there's no separation between work and home. I mean, running is your life for both of you guys. Um, obviously, you're both very invested in each other's success and happiness. But you know, it's got to be challenging also to not have like somebody outside of the home. Where you keep it a little bit separate, but I don't know. Maybe you've never, you've never really known anything different, right? You guys have been yeah. together for a really long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a different bird. I, I'm, I'm somebody that'll go run twenty miles at midnight. And uh-huh. if I had another coach, they wouldn't understand me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they would understand my psyche. And um, I mean, I'm a different bird. I like to run late at night, and I really don't set any limits on the day. And when I run, and and I mean, if if I if I could, I would run all day. I would run right. all day. I'd run twice a day. So Connor kind of understands my psyche and um, he's with me every day. He knows what my energy, my mood is like. And, you know, I, I think about like 10 years ago when I was, I was getting ready to go run a marathon up in Canada and I was crawling to the bathroom, like on the floor and I had torn my plantar fascia And like, in my mind, it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. And here I am crawling on the floor and and Connor's like, do you think you should go run a marathon? (laughs) 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 And um, yeah, I mean, I like, he's the only one that really understands my psyche. And Uh um, he knows to like pull back the reins on me. Like when I'm, like, I'm obviously exhausted or injured or complaining. I'm, I'm somebody that doesn't really complain about body issues. And so, if I do complain about something, that's like a red flag he knows to him. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how much of it is your intuition versus a prescription like, okay, this week, these are the workouts we're doing or today we're doing this. And you're like, yeah, but I just wanna go run a marathon at midnight or whatever it is. <laughs> like, what is the push pull? How, like how locked in is it? Or does it just change? And it, it's very much like day to day, like, okay, here's what I think you should do today. Or you look a little tired today, maybe let's back off. And when, when Connor says, this is what you need to do, Is that what you end up doing? Or do you like say, yeah, but I feel like doing this. Like what does that tension or relationship or communication look like?
0: Yeah, so when he first started coaching me and like 15, was it? 2004, 2004, uh, 18 years ago or so, he used to just tell me what to do and I just did it without even thinking about what I was doing. And so about 2009, he started like kind of letting me have feedback on what I felt like doing. And so that was when the magic started to come out. I felt mm-hmm. like when I started to tune in with like, what do I feel like doing? What does my body and my mind feel like doing? Like that was, that was like what elevated me to whole other Level. Mm. And so I think we kind of have that day to day dynamic that we kind of assess like how I'm feeling, what the weather's like. And, you know, sometimes I have like other commitments for the day. And like maybe I had a workout planned and, you know, just based on like kind of all those factors, you know, I might move a workout to a different day or like alter the workout. And so I feel like, I feel like the only thing that's really changed maybe as I've gotten older is I'm kind of more in tune with, and sometimes I don't do a hard. Workout Like maybe I'll only do one hard workout a week. Like I'm kind of working more with my body and rather than being strict on like having two Mm -hmm. hard workouts a week, sometimes I only do one workout a week if I'm feeling more tired. So I feel like I'm kind of more in tune with my body and not feeling like I have to push it all the time. Uh, That I just really wanna feel good. I wanna be healthy. I wanna, you know, toe the line for a race, like feeling like really energized and really Mm -hmm. good, so.
1: And you mentioned spreadsheets. So are you yeah. still keeping spreadsheets and, and what what can be found on those spreadsheets? Like what are you tracking specifically that you're interested in watching?
0: Yeah, and well, I, I keep Strava. So most uh-huh. of my training is like kept on Strava, but uh, for the spreadsheets, I just keep track of my mileage and any sort of injuries or problems I've had through the year, and um, so I, it's not too much detail on the spreadsheets. I keep it pretty minimal, but it's it's incredible to look at because I mean I'm going back, you know, to the seventh grade and I've kept wow. all these like details of like body issues and yeah, I mean just it's this whole evolution of my running career. And um, but yeah, I mean sh- thank goodness for Strava. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Do You use Training Peaks or. Any other kind of database management or you just use Strava?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have got my Coros watch, which mm-hmm, um, keeps right. a lot of stats and you know sleep and and those sort of things as well. So I kind of look at what Coros is tracking along with Strava, and um, but but yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty incredible. Like there's so much data that that you know is out there now, and I don't even know how to digest all of it. But at the same time, I am a bit of a data. Yeah, key, you're the so. math person.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the mindset side of things. Obviously, when you're going 100 miles or 24 hours, everybody wants to know, you know, what are you thinking the whole time? Or when you feel like quitting, what do you tell yourself? Like, how does all of that work for you?
0: Yeah, gosh, I mean, there's a lot of time to think when you're out there. Um, I'm somebody that, like I said, I trained, you know, for 75% of effort for 100 miles. I. For 24 hours, I'm training for 65 to 70% effort, which is like an easy run pace. So I'm really just channeling my training and like how I felt in my training and running at 75%, -hmm. running at 65%. And I really just focus on that and that feeling and that effort. And um, and obviously, I'm somebody. I'm somebody that like is able to tune out pain and to tune out the fatigue that I'm feeling. But I'm also able to tune into the things when I need to need to tune in. You know, keeping track of like how do my feet feel, and mm-hmm. um, you know, how's my gut feel? Like, do I need to change anything with my energy? Um so I'm I'm somebody that kind of like I feel like I'm out there just kind of like meditating a bit but I'm able to tune in when I need to tune in and um you know make changes when I need to make changes so
1: are there any mantras or things that you tell yourself when it is getting really painful and you're in that pain cave dark place?
0: yeah, oh definitely i mean i <laughs> i i one of the funny things uh when I was running my hundred mile world record, and um I mean the sun is like baking on us, I felt like it was like uh, being like an ant with a magnifying glass on us and sitting in this bowl. And uh, probably just after 50 miles, I was telling myself to suck it up buttercup.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> pretty straightforward, right?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, suck it up buttercup. I mean, that's one of my favorite. I'm kind of somebody that's like a tough love and um, mm-hmm. type of person um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm out there. and. There's certain things like I I have this mentality that I'm an animal out there and I'm chasing prey or I'm being chased by an animal. Which
1: animal are you?
0: <laughs> Which animal? The honey badger. I, like what
1: is it? I, what, I, what specific animal are
0: you? <laughs> I saw I yeah I saw the uh, your your interview with Harvey. I think he uh-huh. said he was channeling the honey badger. Uh, I mean I think I'm a lion. I yeah. think I'm a lion, especially with my hair. Uh-huh. Um, you always and,
1: wear your hair down, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I
0: do, I do. And I feel like, I literally feel like I have a cape on my head when I run. Like it feels like I'm flying out there and like my, uh, my hair just like kind of stimulates me yeah. in such a way that I feel like free and liberated. Um, but I feel like I'm an animal out there like chasing prey. And um, I mean, that's like the mindset that I have even like racing Harvey here last weekend. Um, I felt like I was being chased by an animal and I better like, I better survive. Like, yeah, so. Well,
1: I have this theory. I mean, when I look at you and I'm experiencing you, you're clearly a very happy person, a very (laughs) joyful person. And again, it's impossible to not compare you to Courtney's disposition, also a very happy, joyful person. And even like Harvey, Harvey's like, (laughs) you know, he's like overflowing with like gratitude. And I think it's curious, that some of the most successful ultra runners in the world have this disposition. And I have to think that there's something to that. Like what is the relationship? Like if you're a really happy, joyful person, on some level, what you're doing is in pursuit of that joy, right? So when it yeah. gets really hard, like you have that, right? And that's very, that that is in contrast to this idea that I think is out there that, Ultra running is hard and you got to be tough and it's sort of this alpha navy seal attitude of like tackling obstacles and mm-hmm. all of that because it's it's a it's like a like you're holding it a little bit lighter right like oh this is fun and like yeah. let's remember that this is fun you yeah. know when it's really dark and i think there's a there's a real strength mm-hmm. there it would be interesting to like study all the elite ultra runners from that perspective of joy, happiness, gratitude, because I see it everywhere I look.
0: Yeah. I, I think I got it from my parents. Um I've seen my parents have their own health issues and struggles that they go through. Um I think about my mom. She had like shoulder surgery and she had to go through PT for many months. Mm. And I've never seen my mom like, I mean, my mom is like this, you know, Betty Crocker type that, you know, like cooks and you know, she's she's at home. And she's like, you know, she goes hardcore, she goes hardcore with her PT and she's so positive. And uh, she, you know, she was motivated, she's positive. And um, I think I got that from my parents. I mean, growing up playing sports and my parents were just such positive people, like just super motivating and like believed in me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think like I got it from my parents, like, yeah.
1: And you guys lost your home, right? Growing up to a tornado.
0: We did, we did. And yeah, that happened my junior year of high school. Um, and it actually happened a couple days after prom. And so, um, I'd had my prom dress, uh, hanging on my bathroom door and, um, and then the, the tornado happened on a Monday. And I remember I'd gone to lunch with my friends that day and it was this perfect sunny day. And, um, and then, yeah, the tornado came and my dad, uh, so my mom was down in Norman taking care of my grandpa at the time. And so my dad, I'd like gotten out of the shower and my dad was like, Hey, there's a tornado coming. And, you know, we get tornadoes all the time in Oklahoma. You don't think really anything of it. You're just like, okay, you know, I got to go take shelter. There's a tornado coming. Um, so I just grabbed my book bag and went with my dad and we drove down to Norman to be with my dad, my mom and my grandpa. And I'm watching the TV and like, here's this tornado coming through Oklahoma city and, you know, telling us the streets that it's going through. And, um, I mean we're like oh my gosh that's where we live um and so yeah it just ripped like right through where my high school was the neighborhood to the south it lived it ripped like right where we lived which is right across the street from the high school mm. but yeah it was pretty traumatizing at the time and yeah, I so mean, so your just, whole house was gone. Yeah, so, um, so we actually, so what had happened was we, we, uh, we lived down in Duncan, Oklahoma, and we had just moved up to the city like a couple months before because my dad yeah. had retired. And uh, we were trying to decide like where to live in South Oklahoma City. And so we were either going to live like across the street from the high school or we were going to live in another neighborhood. Both places got hit by the tornado, and so um so we ended up uh, we had an apartment at the time because my parents were trying to sell their house, and so the tornado hit the apartment where we were staying at. Mm, okay. And um and so I mean it just there were like four people where we lived in that vicinity that died. Um, and so, I mean, I I feel so blessed that my dad had loaded me up in the car to go down to Norman, and um, you know when we got when we were able to get back up there, and you know I mean it's just concrete slabs yeah. up there, and so um, it was really shocking. I mean, at the time, you're thinking, oh my gosh, like you know I can't believe this happened, and um, but at the same time, like I felt so grateful for my life and you know what my what my dad had done, you know to to load us up. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I just felt like this appreciation for like, I'm alive, like I can still yeah. run. I still have my running talent. And um, and it kind of like made me like become more spiritual with myself. And I felt like, like I started running long on Sunday as a way to like celebrate my life and like my running talent. And um, yeah, and that really like kind of It kind of put me back in touch with my myself and like being appreciative of my life. Mm -hmm. So that
1: gratitude thing, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're back there. Yeah, like you've been, you've kind of been nomadic, right? You lived in, you were in Colorado, you were in Tucson. Now you're back in Oklahoma back in City Oklahoma. On Love the, it on the uh, on the tornado watch. Has yes. there been any since you've been back? It's pretty recent, right? You, yeah, you moved back there pretty recently.
0: Yeah, so we just moved back here a couple months ago, uh-huh. and uh, we have a storm shelter uh-huh. in our house. So, <laughs> <laughs> in I've, fact, I've, I've joked, I've thought about this is like new for
1: Connor, right? Like not uh-huh. not used to like tornadoes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh Yeah, I mean, I, I've yeah, it's I haven't even gotten down in there yet to see what the storm shelters like, but uh we have one in our garage. So um, so yeah, you got to get underground if a tornado is coming because it's yeah, just completely flattens mm. your house. And um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from Oklahoma. I'm a native Oklahoma, and my parents live there. My two sisters live there. And um, and I just I feel like I'm reconnecting like with my roots yeah. as a runner and you know where I'm from. So
1: yeah, yeah but it's pretty flat there, right? Like, <laughs> you're not getting a lot of hill work for Western states.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so the way that I was able to train and to win the comrades marathon was I went down to Mount Scott, which is like our only like mountain in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: like 1500 feet high or something.
0: Yeah, I think it goes up to like 2000 feet Uh or something like that. It's like three, just under three miles to go up to about 2000 feet. Um, It's a pretty steep grade. Um, Like I think it goes maybe from like 8% up to 20% or so. But yeah, that's basically how I trained to win the Comrades uphill course Uh was um, driving down to Mount Scott and doing repeats up and down the mountain. Um, and then I would do short repeats at the bottom as well. Um, and so that was how I trained. That was how I heel trained for comrades. And there's also trails down there uh, to, to get on. I really like the trails, so.
1: And now is that what you're doing for Western States or what's the, what's the prep like? Like this is the big goal. Yeah. It's coming up. When is it in July?
0: Yeah, uh, the end of June.
1: End of June. Okay. Yeah. So where are we at, and what are you focused on? Like this is this is the thing, right? Like yeah. you've got all these world records, but like it's all about Western States. Yeah.
0: Now I'm trying to bring it to the trials, so um, super fun. Um, I mean, I we're, I'm gonna do the Western States training camp uh, uh-huh. coming up here in a couple weeks, uh, which is something I haven't done before. And I mean, I've run I ran Western States last year, and so I've kind of got like the mental picture of what it's like and um you know d- the different uh, there's it's it- you know, you kind of have to think of it in segments because there's so many different parts and and kind of how you break it down. And I feel like since I've run the whole course, I can like mentally process that better and how to prepare for it. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm planning to go out to the the training camp and get on the course more and just kind of get dialed in with that flow and that that connection of my body with the course. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I you know you kind of just try and put it all together on race day and and um, you know hope that you. You've like, you know, dialed in all the different components. Yeah, so. yeah,
1: yeah. You seem really clear on on your strengths. What do you think are your weaknesses or the thing the areas that, that really need a little bit more focus?
0: Yeah. and Well, definitely one of the things was my body breaking down Mm -hmm. and like I've I've had to drop from races because I had hamstring issues or just my body breaking down. And so um, I've spent, you know, the past year really like getting in the gym and really working on my full body strength so that I'm not breaking down. And I felt like even last year when I ran Western States, even though I had this iron issue, my body wasn't breaking down. Like I was physically strong because I'd been working more the gym, and um, so I felt like that was the first piece of the puzzle was to get my body physically stronger, so I'm not breaking down the race. And then the whole iron issue was the other thing that I needed to work on. I'm 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 somebody that has the opposite problem of most people. Yeah. Like I have to I I you know I'm having to give my blood away rather than trying to build it up. So um so yeah I mean I've really worked on that just trying to get my uh, my biomarkers more balanced again. So. Yeah,
1: but I feel like you're on top of that, right? It's like, yeah. okay, that was a weakness. I've dealt with that. Yeah. What's the next weakness that I need to look at?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're I, like, I'm
1: good. I'm strong. I'm like ready to go. I feel pretty yeah. good.
0: Yeah. I mean, right now, like, because I've been so focused on road stuff and track running, like I'm trying to get, I'm trying to translate it to the trails right now and kind of mm-hmm. get my uh, my flow dialed in to be on trails. And I mean, I, I feel great when I've, the, the past couple of weeks that I've gotten on trails, I'm like, man, I feel great. Like, I feel like, I feel like, damn, like flying like uphill and downhill. And I feel like, I feel so much more, uh, comfortable with my technical skills than I did, um, you know, a year, a couple years ago, yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously, like you know, for me to take on like a course like UTMB is going to be like you know, whole other element. Right. But I feel like I'm somebody that can adapt. You know, I can get stronger. I can you know improve. And I mean, it's kind of like learning how to ride a bike. And um, you know, any any athlete you know is that's trying to learn how to do something new. Like if you do it, you know, over and over and over again, eventually you're gonna get it right. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm optimistic, you know, I'm optimistic that if I keep practicing and I keep working at it, like I'm finally gonna get things right, so.
1: And how do you like to work with pacers? Do you want somebody with you as much as possible or you want a bump and run, just give me the nutrition and I'm fine (laughs) or like, how do you think about that
0: piece? Yeah, uh, I'm not really, I don't think I want a pacer. Um, I actually, uh, like a year and a half ago, it was interesting. I ended up running a road 100K and had a pacer and that was kind of my first time to have a Mm -hmm. pacer. And I feel like I'm somebody that likes to get into my own head that I don't like to be distracted. I don't like to have a whole lot of people or like outside like influence. I really need to be in my own headspace when I race. And I mean that's kind of the that's kind of what I'm good at, like getting in my own head when I race and really like elevating myself. And so I'm I, I'm actually not gonna have pacers. Like I feel I feel pretty confident enough in my own self that I can get in my own head space and like, you know, uh to elevate myself like later in the race. So Yeah
1: yeah talk a little bit about the longer term goals i mean western states is a short term goal like what what's on the what's further down the horizon in terms of things that you'd like to be able to accomplish
0: yeah uh, so obviously i want to become more of a trail runner and i'm really motivated i've been setting world records for for many years now and um, i mean there's still some more world records like in the multi-day stuff that i want to get um, but I see myself evolving more into trail running and mountain running, and um, I want to become the first athlete to win uh, Comrades, Western States, UTMB, uh, because that's the triple crown of ultra running. Yeah, and so, yeah. uh, winning Comrades is the, obviously the hardest one because it's the most competitive race to win, and there's only been three Americans that have done it. So I feel like you know I won I won like the pinnacle, you know, as far as Comrades. But uh, but yeah, now I've got to bring it to Western States. In UTMB and and um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun trying to trying to you know achieve that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I feel like there's no limits on what I can right. do. Like if I set a goal for something, like I'm somebody that doesn't really limit myself on like I just go after it. I just you know bite down and go after that goal. So
1: I feel like you would really excel at bad water.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, I was actually signed up to do Badwater two years ago and it got canceled. Right. Um, and so yeah, I'm, I've been staying with my friend Shannon who's mm-hmm. done it like eight times. And um, I mean, she's all raving, raving to me about it. And in fact, she actually did the double Badwater. She ran Badwater and then turned around and ran back to the start. Um, so, I Shannon, don't know if- so
1: we should just shout her out. Like Shannon yeah. for our griefer, she's a legend. <laughs> she lives in the area. If you run trails around here, you're, Inevitably going to bump into her. She's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. Was she the first to do the double, or I can't remember. It was a, it was a while ago when she yeah. did it, but it's like unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I. I mean, she was talking about how tired she was when she finished, and she turned around and ran it all the way back. I know. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's so mental. Like it's incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. What about a, a transcontinental run?
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, I've got a long list of things right. I want to do. I mean, we're watching Michael Wardian right now do uh-huh. a transcon, and um, I mean that that stuff just totally blows my mind. Like, I feel like I feel like I'm somebody that I mean, I I I find joy in running, period. And to run across America, I would just absolutely love it. I mean, it's it would be something completely new because you would see the entire country by foot, mm-hmm. and I think. I think I would just love that. I think I would just like be taking it in every day, like being in a new place and knowing, you know, where my legs are taking me, so.
1: What's the women's record for that?
0: Um, yeah, I don't really know what that is. I think I, I think Pete Kostelnik holds a men's record and, and I've run a little bit further than him for 24 hours. So I think I would be trying to go for his <laughs> record, so. That
1: would be unbelievable if yeah. you broke the world record for men and women doing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then there's all these FKTs, right? Like you could. I mean, there's no limit. It's yeah. just a question of like where you want to place your attention. And I think you yeah. even mentioned the um, the 3100. Yeah. Uh In Queens. Yeah. Which is a wild one.
0: That I mean, that is just so that blows my mind. <laughs> I, I I mean, 3100 miles, like around, like uh, I think it's like a half mile. Yeah. Block. Um, I mean how do you stay motivated how do you find joy you know when it's boring? Um, and I, I think I'm somebody that, like, I mean, I like to use the energy around me when I'm in races, and and um, you kind of have to, you have to break it down. Like, how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. And so, um, I've learned, like, when I run races, like, I need to, I need to, you know, track the mileage, and I need to break down the how, how am I going to eat the elephant? Yeah. Um, and so I mean, that's something I think about in races, like, you know, whether I'm going 100 miles, 24 hours. 3,100 miles, like how do you break down eating the elephant, so.
1: Well, you're no stranger to running around in circles. So you're just, you're running around in a circle. The interesting thing with that one is the course closes at night. So you go to bed. And it becomes like a job for the summer. You just wake up and between eight and five or whatever, eight and eight or whatever the hours are, you just go around that loop and try to get as many miles as you can. There's a yeah. documentary about it that my friend Sanjay Rawal uh, made, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Um, and it's so interesting, the people that excel in that race are are not the people, like they don't look like runners, they're like average people with, you know, all different kinds of jobs um and it's and it really shows you like oh this is a, this is about mental fortitude this yeah. is about like something more than athletic capacity this is about like Spiritual. a connection to something beyond like those are the people that seem to you know excel
0: yeah yeah and I I feel that I feel, feel a spiritual connection when I go for world records I feel like I'm tapping into something really special inside of me and I reach a point where I like transcend and like it's almost like my head starts to float off of my body mm. and I think when and um, when you do something like that you really have to tap into that spiritual energy inside of you to to keep going and to to complete it because it's just something that just like you know, it's just like beyond like right. what you think is possible. Tell
1: me more about that. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I feel like I've always had this ability uh, to tap into this this extra energy inside of me. Um, And I like, I remember when I set my 50 mile world best back in 2015, I think I had like, um, maybe it's like 12 miles to go. And I, I, I joke that it was like the the hand of God came over me and I literally felt like my head started to float on my body and I'm just like a machine those last 12 miles. And it was kind of one of those points where I was either going to get the record or not get the record. And I felt like I just found some sort of like spiritual connection where my body just became a machine and it was kind of like my head was mm. floating. And I felt that like many more times when I've gone for world records, I feel like even um, I think about when I did my 12 hour world record, I started to feel that I feel like I I kind of just went into this like machine mode. And, and yeah, I mean, it was like, it's it's incredible. I just I feel it. I feel this energy that I can tap into when I go for these amazing things. So
1: like this advanced flow state where you yeah. become this channel for something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel it like it's incredible. I just, like even even racing Harvey. I mean, it was like I just I just transcended like this last couple of miles and um, I don't know how to describe it. Like I just it's like I almost like detach a bit from uh from my body and from the pain I'm feeling and I just become this machine.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. Well, it yeah. is. That's why you have to do the 3100. <laughs> it is this self-transcendent yes. run, run. That's what it's called, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I I feel like like that's gonna be like. My finale as a runner.
1: <laughs> mm. um, how do you think about yourself as a as a role model? Obviously, you're inspiring to to everybody, but particularly to to women, women athletes, young girls. I'm sure you have opportunities to speak with younger people. Like, how do you think about? how you carry yourself and what that means for the next generation of young athletes.
0: Yeah, well, when I when I'm out there and I'm going I'm about to do something, I mean, I think about that not only the people that inspire me to to do a race, I, I feel like every race that I do, I have somebody that is inspiring me and that I think about, like especially later in the race. But I also know that people are watching me and that I'm bringing inspiration to other people. And I feel that. I feel that during the race. I feel like, you know, I'm doing this for the world. I'm doing this to you know, elevate the sport, to raise the bar on what women uh, think is possible. and uh, like it's such a powerful mm. thing when you're out there. I feel like I'm it's not just me trying to reach a personal goal. I'm doing this for the sport. I'm creating yeah. history and um it just like totally like elevates me like late in the race, just thinking about that.
1: and now being forty, you're not just breaking barriers in distance and time you're breaking barriers in age. Like you haven't even begun to, you know, tap into what you're capable of. I'm sure you've got a whole slew of world records, you know, coming, um, but it it's really cool because it creates this conversation around what we're capable of and what our limits are as we age. And as you redefine it, you're in equal parts inspiring young people as you are to like the older people who are who are trying to, you know, Rethink what they're capable of as we get older.
0: Yeah, awesome. absolutely. And um, I mean, I I think about when I reached my mid thirties, I thought I was on some sort of like downhill slope right. or something. And I mean, probably a lot of like marathoners and um, you know, ultra athletes think that they think that oh, you know, it's all downhill from here. But I feel like I'm reaching my prime right now, and I mean, it's incredible because here I've been a I've been a runner for 27 years, and I'm still getting better. And you know, at age 40. And uh you know I feel like I'm kind of dialing in more like I talked about my diet and my recovery I'm kind of ch- dialing in more on those factors that you know maybe I just kind of let them slide in the past and sure. wasn't really as dialed in on them so I'm kind of showing like you know if I I'm using like more of my brain and having more wisdom and um, with my training and um, my recovery my diet all these things and I it's it's like working <laughs> Yeah yeah yeah
1: and yeah. it's also cool that we're in a time where you know, somebody who is of your age can live as a professional athlete. Like you can, you have sponsors and you can make a living and, you know, do your thing. And Mm. I think that's amazing. Like that wouldn't have been possible, you know, maybe even like 10 years ago.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I like. I mean, I've been the sport for seven years, and I've seen this whole evolution yeah. with sponsorships. And um, even when I when I first got into the sport, and um, it was it was actually hard to get sponsorships. Even being a woman, and um, I felt like I I saw like uh, more younger men getting sponsorship opportunities, and I, I like. Here I was, I had done a lot in like just my first year as an ultra runner, and I felt like uh, that there was kind of more this focus on men, and it's kind of shifted now that there's so many amazing women doing yeah. things, and and sponsors have realized like, oh, you know, like we we we've got these amazing women that you know we can back, and I feel like there's kind of been this shift of supporting more women and more women, more athletes of you know all different ages as well. I mean, I'm you know just turned 40 and I've professional athlete and I mean, I had a profession before I was a professional athlete right. that, um, you know, I thought I would be working in research for the rest of my life. I couldn't have imagined that I'm a professional athlete at age 40, like <laughs> I, this is just wild. Right, so, like,
1: were not you working in a lab in like Ann Arbor, like studying bone density or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I worked at the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center, uh-huh. um, but I also worked at Michigan for a period back in 2016. And so, um, I mean, I had a dedicated career. Like, I was not expecting to become this ultra runner, this professional athlete, you know, at this age. And um, I, I had to go through a transition, um, trying to transition from my profession my day job uh, to become a professional athlete I mean it was like oh my gosh what do I do with right. this and um, but yeah once I once I had my car accident back in 2019 and um, I mean I was driving to work that day and I felt like uh, it was almost like this sign from above telling me you know this is where it stops like you know go go full time with your with your running mm-hmm. um, and I mean I'm grateful I feel I feel like I'm doing what I'm born to do as a runner and it's it's empowering like you know, to be doing this Um, and I'm grateful for that. I wanna be the best that I can be and uh, to do everything right, so.
1: Yeah, and on a practical level, so you have your sponsors um, and then, do you guys also coach other people, or like how does it work so that all the bills get paid and you can travel? Because it's expensive to travel around and go to all these races and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, fortunately, I've got a lot of support from Hoka. Uh-huh. Uh So Hoka is my main sponsor, and you know, I've got a travel budget with them. But um, but yeah, we also coach on the side, and um, you know, which keeps my husband busy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we coach together, and um, you know, that's what I'm doing a lot in my free time. You know. We're trying to work with our athletes and uh, yeah just communication with athletes and that sort of thing um, so yeah I mean we we started our, our um, coaching business you know back when I was still working full-time and research and um, and I mean that that was really helpful you know trying to transition into becoming a full-time athlete along with you know having our own business um, was really beneficial and um, but I feel it's so cool for me to be able to give back my knowledge and my wisdom to the running community and to see other athletes like uh, succeed, and um, we just coached the guy that um, Joe McConaughey that just won the Coca Dona two fifty, and mm. um, I mean he just crushed it here yeah. last week. And um, I mean it's really cool to be able to use you know my my experience and my wisdom to give back to other athletes and see somebody like him you know just crush it. Right, so. right,
1: right. On that note, what do you see like a lot of people doing wrong, or what are common mistakes that? The amateur athlete makes when they're participating in these longer races.
0: Yeah, and I—I I mean, I would say as far as uh, mistakes that athletes make, I would say too many athletes run their easy days too fast. Um, and so we really have to pull back the reins on the athletes that we coach, and that, that people don't know how to run easy, they don't wow. know how to run relaxed. Well,
1: Strava doesn't help with that, you know, because <laughs> every time you're out there, you're like, what's this going to look like on Strava? I don't want to be judged <laughs> for running slow. Like, I don't think it's good for that.
0: Yeah, you know? I think I think it turns people into workout champs. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I I look at Strava sometimes, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's mind boggling some of the workouts that people are doing, and and they're. Easy days are hard. Like every day is like hard. They don't have any concept of pulling back the reins and running easy on their easy days, hard on their hard days. It seems like every day is hard. So, yeah, I mean, with the athletes that we coach, you know, we're really trying to get them to pull back their pace on the easy runs. But then the other thing is uh, we don't do back-to-back long runs. and um, We don't believe in, we think mm-hmm. it's too much stress. And um, so when we start coaching athletes, and they're like, you know, where's our forty mile training right, runs? That's a
1: standard thing in yeah. ultra prep, like doing a long run on tired legs. Yeah, so the back to back is a big part of that.
0: Yeah. So um, <laughs> even coaching Joe for for Cocodona, um, you know, he thought he needed be, to be doing a lot of vert, he needed to be doing a lot of long runs, and we just really pulled back the reins with his training. Um, he's a type of guy that he ran in college, so he has a lot of like natural mm-hmm. leg speed. And so we worked more with his natural physiology, and um, and he thrived on that. Like, and he went into Coca-Dona and he felt like he was pretty strong, like most of the race. And I think a lot of it is just that he's not overtrained. He went into the race like pretty fresh, and um, he had done um, he had done a hundred k like a couple weeks before as a race, as like his last like long run. And mm-hmm. um, but then you know we had him come back and do a speed session a couple days after that, and he just crushed it. So we kind of worked more with his natural physiology rather than you know doing all these like back to back long runs and extreme amounts of verge. So right,
1: but I also find myself thinking as somebody who doesn't have a background in running, I have a background in swimming and other things. But you having this you know elite background and Joe is his name, yeah, yeah, having a background as a as a really good runner makes it make more sense. Like okay, you don't need to do your long runs longer than twenty two, like because you're tapping into you know a two decades or a decade plus of that Mm -hmm. type of background. But if you're an amateur runner, who's kind of new to all of this and doesn't have that, I think on a confidence level, they need to do a longer run just to convince themselves like it's possible. Um, But maybe there's something too, like those back-to-back long hard runs that fills the gap because they didn't have that you know, experience as a younger person.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like um, doing races, you know, gives people the confidence and the pre- to the, the way to prepare for whatever sort of like uh-huh. a goal race. Um, even I do that. I mean, I like to, when I'm going for an, uh, you know, training for a big race, like a world championship, I like to do, like, a marathon or a 50K a couple weeks out, and um, you know, it's, like, my last, like, long run, you know, for that big race, and, I mean, that's that's kind of the mindset that we have coaching the athletes that we, you know, try to do, like, you know, something big, like, a couple weeks before their, like, A race and, um, you know, that kind of, like, helps them to practice, you know, their nutrition and um, spending, you know, more time on their feet, um, but yeah, I feel like doing all these, like, back-to-back Long runs, I feel like it's too much stress. And I mean, I I have a master's degree in exercise and sports science, mm-hmm. and and I mean, I just can't really justify from a science standpoint. Like, there's just too much stress, like from doing so many long runs. I feel like it beats you down. And when I've tried that, when I've tried to like do like. Thirty mile plus training runs. I mean, I I feel like I get tired. I'm like, there's, mm-hmm. I don't feel like this is necessary. Um, and so yeah, when I like pulled back the reins, like I feel like you know, if you pull back the reins and you know you have a yeah, finding that that perfect formula to have like a race like a couple weeks out, that that kind of gets you dialed in, and then just you know taper and recover for the race, the yeah. big race.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. The final thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, has to do with diversity in ultra running i mean obviously it 's a very kind of like white sport you know mm-hmm. um, I think it is really cool that there 's so much enthusiasm and excitement around women in ultra running and that 's where it 's most exciting, I think, because of people like you who are really pushing boundaries and advancing the conversation of what 's possible. but how can we make it a little bit more inclusive? I know this is something that you care about and and, you know yeah. so sort of elaborate on that
0: yeah bit. well it's, it's really interesting when I go to comrades and um, that comrades is probably the most diverse race in the world as far as ultra running and um, and yeah and then you you look at trail running and things and um, you know tend to be a little less diverse uh-huh. and um, I think one thing that comrades has going for it is they they have a very small entry fee um, I don't know what the conversion is and um, for for their for their um, amount uh, to enter the race but they have a different entry fee for international versus um within south africa and i so i think i think of you know money the cost of getting into race like that's one barrier for sure and i feel like you know maybe trail running needs to have some sort of subsidized like entry fees or something to you know to to allow like more people to to afford it but yeah i think that um comrades is kind of like brings in like a global Mm -hmm. like um I don't know, it just seems like they have like this, like uh, like it's kind of like the world coming together type of thing. Yeah. Um, but
1: also there's such a steep tradition Yeah. Uh, there around it. Like everybody there knows about it and everybody, like it was the whole community just kind of does it, whether they're yeah. trained to do it or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah and I I feel like like tr- I don't know maybe maybe you know there needs to be more collaboration between like what all, what comrades is doing right and trying to bring that mm. more to trail running um, but yeah, just try to you know think about what what are the barriers to allowing you know more diverse you know community and um, you know I I follow like the Black Trail Runners um, I think they're based in the UK and um, you know just trying to create a community to get more uh, diversity into the sport and um, there's also like the Native American trail runners and um, I think I, I mm-hmm. actually donated towards yeah, their cause. You donated cause. money to
1: that your prize yeah. money towards that. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and
0: I I feel like I feel like this like I need. To give back more, like I feel like you know, even if I'm getting prize money, or you know, what are the ways that I can give back to the sport? You know, do I donate? part of my prize money, like, you know, get more active with, um, you know, trying to promote these causes and, uh, you know, black trail runners and native American trail runners. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that there's ways that, you know, we need to, we need to acknowledge, you know, that, that, Hey, you know, we're a pretty welcoming community and, you know, anybody can do our sport. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, that there's a greater awareness of that too. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, All right, well, before I let you go, I think it would be good to kind of round this out with just some parting words for somebody who's been listening to this or watching it and is feeling inspired and thinking, maybe I can do one of those, (laughs) like, that's cool. Like, how does somebody begin this process of tackling a big challenge or how do you inspire or motivate somebody to get off the couch and, and start thinking about raising their, their, their ceiling on what they're capable of.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think back to when I was a marathoner, and um, I mean, even when I did the half marathon, I remember when I did the half marathon thinking it felt like a marathon. Um, and it seems like every time I've gone up in distance, I'm like, you know, I spent many years doing marathons and then I kind of wondered what, what's next. Like what's next? What can I do next? And um yeah, I mean I going into ultra running, it was kinda like deep diving into, you know, a whole other sport. And um, you know, fortunately I, I did it. Fortunately I had uh-huh. the courage to do it. Um, but now, you know, being able to get back to the sport as a coach and that's what I recommend to athletes. I mean, I'm willing to help athletes, you know, to make that deep dive and, you know, and help them have the guidance and the confidence to do it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's, I feel like there's kind of this step up and, you know, sometimes there's even ultra runners who have stepped down in distance. And um, mm-hmm. I think about like Jim Walmsley stepped down into the marathon, which yeah. is really cool. And yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it takes, it takes courage to do that, but obviously, you know, being a coach, um, I want to Get back and you know uh, help athletes you know to make that jump you know whether to step up or step down in distance. So,
1: well, you're an inspiration, and I think there's going to be a lot of new fans coming your way. Everybody's excited <laughs> to you. see what you do at Western States and and after that. So I appreciate you coming here today and, yeah. and sharing with me.
0: Well, thank you, thank yeah, you for I the just, conversation. Your energy is amazing.
1: It really is <laughs> thank infectious, you. and uh, and. You're a beautiful person. So Aww, thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Appreciate it. Keep
1: doing your thing. I just like it's so cool. You're just knocking these things down like bowling pins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like well, it's, nothing's it's in your way. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: all it's on the mind and just determination and joy. I'm propelled yeah. by joy. The
1: joy thing is big. Yeah, right? like do absolutely. You th- do you th- it, and it doesn't, it's very authentic to you. It's not like, oh, I'm trying to be joyful because if I'm joyful, then this, I'll be a better athlete. It's not like that it doesn't work that way, but.
0: I'm just a happy person, yeah. yeah. How
1: do you think you're so happy?
0: Mar-
1: well- <laughs> yeah, is that what you Mar-
0: <laughs> Mar- Mar- married Irishman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was—I mean, I was born on Christmas Day, and they said I came into there the world go. smiling. So, uh, yeah, I came—I came into the world smiling, and, and you my mom's always been this way. Yeah, my mom said I was just a happy baby, and. Uh, yeah, I liked I like to eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: I like to run. I like to eat. I mean, I just yeah.
1: And now you get to do those things. Yeah. Professionally.
0: Professionally. Yeah,
1: cool. Yeah. Well come back and talk to me again after you break a bunch of more world <laughs> records and we'll get Connor on with you next time together and we can like get, <laughs> get into the spreadsheets.
0: <laughs> there you yeah, go. Cool. Cool.
1: Um if anybody wants to learn more about you, should they just go to your website, Camille Heron or uh, your you're on all the socials and all of that. You share tons of stuff. I love yeah. the, the little video of you face planting on the trail.
0: Oh. <laughs> That's like pinned. Oh on my your gosh! Twitter. Oh my gosh! That <laughs> was like it was a drone. I had no idea there was a drone that captured mm. me like face planting on the trail, and yeah. I got back up and it was like bloody and everything, and just kept going to the finish. So.
1: Right. So if you want to yeah. see that, go to Camille's <laughs> Twitter. Yeah, and your website and anywhere else.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm on in Instagram at Run Camille, and um, I mean, I get messages all the time. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty interactive on like all the social media platforms. I I really like interacting, uh, commenting, and um, you know, I meet people at races. I meet people at races, and they're like, oh yeah, I follow you. And I mm. mean, it's just it's really cool. It's like cool. when I when I meet people in person, and I'm like, yeah, we like you know exchange messages and things. So.
1: So shoot her a DM and she might answer you, you and say hi at the next race. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. All right.
0: Cool. Thanks, Lance.
1: (laughs) That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guests, including links and resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at richroll.com where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as podcast merch, my books, Finding Ultra, Voicing Change in the Plant Power Way, as well as the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on YouTube, and leave a review and or comment. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Cale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg and Grayson Wilder. Graphic and social media assets courtesy of Jessica Miranda, Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and A.J. Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley, for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants. Namaste.